Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. My guest today is Tom Hale, who is one of our favorite experts on the Intracoastal Waterway, the Atlantic Intracoastal, that is. Um, But Tom today is going to join us to talk a little bit about tides and currents. So before we start with the topic at hand, I do want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Beneteau, Curtis Stokes & Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. So with that business out of the way, I want to go ahead and introduce Tom Hale. Tom, thanks for joining us on Great Loop Radio. You're most welcome. Glad to be here. Yeah, this is important information. As we said, uh, loopers will start to head north soon, and the Atlantic Intracoastal, of course, has some tidal concerns that many of our loopers, particularly if you've spent your boating career on lakes and rivers, may not be familiar with. So let's start with some of the basics and define some of the terms like tide versus current and ebb, ebb current versus flood current. Great. Well, thank you, Kim. And you make a good point. What we're going to be discussing today is tides and currents along the coast, what we're discussing today won't be um, of any value on inland rivers. Um, So we need to, I'd like to start by just defining tide and current because we all, self-included, get sloppy sometimes uh, and use the term tide when we mean current. We say the tide is pushing us in or the, the tide is uh, against us all day long and we had a slow day, but tide is the vertical movement of water, okay? Current is when the water's moving horizontally. So if we aren't precise and we say the tide is coming in, then we're not necessarily sure what someone's talking about. Is the water coming up or is the current going in? So it's important uh, to try and be clear and concise and use tide when we mean the vertical movement of water and current for the horizontal. Um, Now, as far as tide goes, there are a number of ways you can look it up. Almost every chart plotter will have it in it and all the good navigation apps have tide charts and current charts charts built into them. And you don't need an an internet connection. All this content is device resident. if you have an iPad with navigation software, you've got what you need. Um, now, the tide itself is based on the uh, relation of the Earth to the moon. As, there, as the Earth spins relative to the moon, the tide goes up and goes down. Uh, and therefore, the uh, NOAA can very precisely tell you what time the tide is going to be high anywhere along the coast. Um, And there are literally hundreds of tide stations. Current, however, is much harder to predict. Um, After extreme changes in wind direction, barometric pressure, precipitation, the current flows may be predominantly in one direction, regardless the height of the tide. If we have a, uh, a big tropical storm hit the Chesapeake Bay, we'll have a lot of wind and and rain and the 
water will build in the bay and maybe several feet above normal. And all that water has to go out of the bay. But the time of high tide and low tide don't change. The relative depth of water at high tide and low tide will be affected, but the actual timing doesn't. On the other hand, current is greatly affected by wind, uh, precipitation, barometric pressure, so that the current direction sometimes after a storm on the Chesapeake is entirely ebbing for 10, 12 hours. Um, and if you go back and look at the history of it, you can see when high tide and low tide was because the current slows down, but it still continues ebbing. So it's very important to understand that tide is quite precisely predicted and the tide charts will work very well. The current is uh, very, it's it, easy to predict, except that you must, that NOAA can't allow for what the local wind barometric pressure precipitation may do. So be very, a little bit more careful using the current tables. So Tom, so, uh, I think just to kind of elaborate on that um, and the difference between the two, I think a lot of us expect that uh, slack current will be at the same time as low tide or high tide, but that's not always the case. So that can you explain exactly to us why true. that happens? Sure. Uh, I want to first also just describe ebb current versus flood current. Yes, yes, sorry we're about gonna, that. Please we're do. Gonna, that's all right. We'll be talking about ebb tide and, and flood tide, and, and those are, are imprecise. Ebb current means current is going out towards the ocean. Flood current means it's coming in. Ebb current is the current that's generated by a falling tide, and flood current is current generated by a rising tide. Okay, now it, it sounds reasonable to think, well, that current is gonna flood to the point of high tide because it, it's the current supporting the rising tide and then it will ebb. The current will turn around and go the other way and we'll have an ebb current to low tide. Sounds logical, reasonable, uh, but curiously, that's not often the case, particularly, um, particularly in estuaries along the coast. Estuaries are bodies of water like the Chesapeake, Delaware Bay, um, Hudson River, places like that. And this is where it gets kind of tricky. You see, it's hard, it's hard to describe without pictures, but basically if you think about the Chesapeake Bay, it's up to 30 miles wide, 150 miles long. It's a big body of water and all that water has to go in and out between Cape Henry and Cape Charles. So it's quite restricted and the tide in the ocean is going up and down obviously and at high tide the water in the ocean is higher than the Chesapeake and at low tide it's lower. So basically what the tide is doing is it is like a dam at the mouth of the Chesapeake. A movable dam, okay? A movable dam. The when the tide is rising the dam is getting higher and the tide is falling the dam is getting lower. So let's take the case of high tide. At high tide, the ocean is actually higher than the Chesapeake and water goes into the bay. At low tide, it's lower than Chesapeake and water flows out of the bay. More, to kind of fine tune it a little bit, at half tide, halfway between high and low, mid tide, the bay and the ocean are pretty much the same height and there's no current. So if you have mid-tide rising, as the tide starts getting higher in the ocean than it is in the bay, 
water starts flowing into the bay. And as that water flows into the bay, there's obviously a current flowing into the bay. And the higher and higher and higher the tide gets, the more and more current flows into the bay. And at high tide, you've got the maximum difference. And all this water is rushing into the bay. And then the tide passes the high tide point and the dam, if you will, starts to lower, which means the current flowing into the bay is slowing down. At mid tide, half height, the current is, goes to zero because it's the same in the bay and out of the bay. And, but then the, the tide is still dropping. The dam is getting lower. Now the ocean's lower than Chesapeake and the current is flowing out. And when the tide gets to low tide at the mouth of the bay, that's when the maximum amount of water is coming out of the bay. The dam is at the bottom of its movement and that bay is much higher than the ocean. And then the tide starts coming in again. Our dam is slowly rising and the flow of the current out of the bay is begins to slack and goes to zero. And I, I do want to point out, because I know, um, as Tom mentioned, this is a lot easier if there's pictures. Um, so for those of you who are listening and trying to kind of wrap your brain around this concept, um, Tom wrote a great article about this that was in Chesapeake Bay Magazine a few years back. Um, we will make sure that when we post about this episode of the podcast in the AGLCA Members Forum, we'll include a link to that article. Um, and we'll also put that on the homepage for those of you perhaps who are listening and are not members. Um, at the greatloop.org site, towards the bottom right, there's a section for kind of news and announcements, and we'll put a link right there to Tom's article so that if you're listening and still, you know, wanting those pictures, um, you can access that and then continue listening. Um, so Tom didn't mean to interrupt you, but go ahead and, that's, and continue. That's perfectly fine. Um, sure. Let me just say how this is going to be useful to you. Now, understand, I'm talking about the Chesapeake now. It's an example all the different estuaries work the same way, although they may have different offsets. But basically, here's what's happening. The tide rises in the ocean, and then that high tide is also tied in the bay. So there's a, a high tide at the mouth of the bay um, results in water going into the bay, and, the, and this high tide moves, a point of high tide moves up the bay. And in fact, there's a wave in the Chesapeake when all, always moving up the bay where high tide at the mouth of the bay is low tide in Solomon's in the middle of the bay and then it's high tide again up by Baltimore and vice versa when it's low in the mouth of the bay it's high in Solomon's and low in Baltimore there's a wave about a two-foot wave of water that moves up the bay uh, which is the uh, which is the tide now that means is also obviously the, the current is changing as you go up the bay because um, the, the although it's offset from the uh, time of high tide, the point at which the tide goes begins to flood is moving up the bay at the same pace as the the same the timing as hmm, the same pace as the tide. What this means is that if you leave Norfolk. If you leave Norfolk at the beginning of, of uh, the incoming tide, you and let's take it make it simple. If your boat runs at five knots and you leave Norfolk at the beginning of the tidal flood, and you head up the bay. You know the flood tide is going to last six hours. So for six hours you've got the the current pushing you up the bay. Okay, mm -hmm. but at the same time the point at which the current 
switches is also moving up the bay. And it moves up the bay at 15 miles an hour. So in six hours up the bay, I mean, yeah, at six, when you begin six miles up the bay, that point in, that the tide changes is ahead of you. So you actually, sorry, the point that the current changes is ahead of you. <laughs> so it's very easy to get sloppy. So mm -hmm. going up the Chesapeake you at five knots, you will actually carry the flood current with you for eight hours. Uh, and that's certainly an you, advantage mm -hmm. for some of the, yeah. the boats that do travel at five or six knots. Um, and certainly even, at, even at seven or eight knots, it mm -hmm. makes a difference. If your boat can go 15, 20, you're not going to notice this nearly as much. Um, if we have time, I'll, I'll give you an, an example we went, that we experienced a couple of years ago. But right now, you just need to understand that in any estuary, if you're going inland on the East Coast, the current will be flowing with you for a longer period of time than if you were just sitting stationary at one point. So that you've got more help going in. And consequently, if you're going towards the ocean, you're moving towards this uh, changing current point, and you only have four hours between each change of current, whereas you have eight hours when you're going northbound. Again, assuming a five-knot boat. Right. Okay. But let's, let's come back to that if we have time. I thought uh, we might also talk about why a tide table is necessary um, and for both anchoring and for planning a cruise. Um, yes. Okay. Let's go ahead and, and jump into that. We're actually almost halfway through our time already, but let's go ahead and start with that. Um, and once you've gone through that point, we'll take a break and uh, come back. But let's go ahead and talk about why it's important to have the tide tables, both for anchoring and for cruise planning. Okay, there are two issues here. Um, in much of the Atlantic coast, particularly South Carolina and Georgia, there are huge tidal swings. And if you have high tide and low tide differ by nine feet, obviously a lot of water is gonna have to move between high and low water. But if you come into an anchorage at, uh, at let's say low tide and your water is 10 feet deep and you set your anchor scope at five to one ratio for 10 feet, when the tide comes in nine feet, you're not gonna have enough scope. So it's important that you, particularly in South Carolina and Georgia, know, look at your tide chart to see where you are in the tidal cycle. So that if you are, so that wherever you are, you can adjust for how deep the water is going to be at high tide mm -hmm. and set your anchor scope to have the correct scope ratio for high tide. So that's that's how you need it for for anchoring. And I've seen boats uh, in uh, I've seen boats in Cumberland Island that anchored, and that high tide started drifting away because they hadn't allowed for the incoming uh, water, the rising water. Mm -hmm. um, now, the next part of it's a little bit more complicated, which has to do with why you need to look at the tides to get through some of the skinny parts of the icw so perhaps this would be a good time to take a break and i'll come back and we'll when we come back i'll discuss how to use the tide charts for the skinny parts perfect we will uh take a quick break and hear a message from one of our sponsors we'll be back in a moment winter harbor marina is located on the oneida river 1.5 miles west of oneida lake in brewerton new york just minutes from syracuse international airport Winter Harbor offers the lowest diesel fuel and gas prices from New York City to Canada. 
If you find a lower posted documented price, they will match it. Their amenities include complimentary courtesy vehicle, 24-hour pay-at-the-pump fueling, dockside water and cable TV, pristine bathrooms and showers, and emergency haul-out service. For more information, call 315-676-9276 or visit www.winterharborllc.com. Winter Harbor is a proud commander sponsor of AGLCA. We're back on Great Loop Radio. My guest today is Tom Hale, who is certainly one of my go-to people when I have questions about the Atlantic ICW, um, because he knows a lot about it and also cruises it frequently. So Tom today is sharing with us some of the considerations we should account for when we are uh, considering tides and current on the Atlantic ICW. And you were just going to talk about how we use tide tables to our advantage for cruise planning, Tom. Okay. so. Kim, there are, for most of us in, in powerboats, trawlers, we're looking at draft, a boat draft of four feet, four and a half, maybe five feet, not very much. But there are a few skinny places where at low tide you will only have four feet or a little bit less. So you have to have a, a tide chart you can access to see what time low tide is coming. But you must also understand that the ICW is a narrow channel that that was dredged years ago. And the channel itself over time shifts and moves. So you may think you're in the channel and maybe that's where the channel was when it was dredged 15 years ago, but it may have shifted. So you also need to know the state of the tide because if you drift out of the channel and run aground, you're gonna be in the same boat as if you ran aground in a shoal spot. That is, if the tide is falling, you're gonna be stuck for a while. So um, to understand this, a rule of thumb for cruising the Chesapeake is, excuse me, cruising the ICW is that anytime you approach a trouble spot, a place where you think you might not have enough uh, water depth at low tide, there's something, a rule we call half tide rising. And half tide rising says you don't enter a trouble spot until the tide is halfway into the rising cycle and you make sure you're out of it by the time of high tide. Um, now, let's see. So the, the, the truth is for most of us in power boats, we don't need that much water. Uh, the worst tidal spots, the worst shallow spots that I know are about four feet. So probably if you're two hours after low tide entering one of these on a rising tide, you will be fine. And you can you can sort of understand how fast the tide is, is coming and going uh, vertically uh, with a simple rule of thumb that two-thirds of the water moves in the middle two hours. Let's take South Carolina and Georgia, where there's nine feet of tidal rise. That means in the middle two hours as the tide is rising or falling, it's moving six feet in that two-hour period. That's three feet per hour, one foot every 20 minutes, six inches in 10 minutes, three inches in five minutes. That's pretty quick. If you run aground on a mid-tide falling, you're probably gonna be stuck there for six hours. Uh, so this means that A, you wanna time your timing through uh, any trouble spot, but any time you're in one of the narrow sections of the ICW, you really wanna pay attention to your depth finder 
because if you wander out of the channel at mid-tide falling in Georgia and run aground, it may be fine 50 feet away. You may have plenty of water, but where you are is going to be very shallow for another six hours. Okay, so uh, basically most of us in the in power boats can enter any of these trouble spots about two hours after low tide, and you can keep going and enter one of these at high tide because you really have two hours after high tide before the water start, starts dropping fast. It's really just the uh, the last four hours of the uh, of the falling tide that you want to avoid or you want to be particularly careful because whether you're in a shallow spot or just on the banks of the ICW, you can run aground and be stuck. Okay. Now, uh, we've talked about some of the places where uh, you, you we, we've talked about tide, we've talked about current. The places that those of us with slow trawlers are particularly going to need to um, be careful of current are uh, places in, um, in, in particularly in South Carolina and Georgia, starting from the south and coming north, just uh, a little bit south of Jacksonville, is you'll find Pablo Creek and Pablo Creek Bridge. And there are several nice marinas there, but at flood tide, the current there will run at six or seven knots. So that is a place, if you're in a slow trawler, you want to plan your approach to those marinas to come in uh, sometime you know, in the, near high or low tide because the current can be very hard getting through that section of the ICW. Um, after you clear Pablo Creek and you head up the ICW towards Bernardina Beach, the current there are so many, uh, excuse me, there's so many entrances to the ocean that sometimes the current's gonna be ahead of you, sometimes it's gonna be behind you, even though the, the tide may be rising all day, but because at each opening it, it'll switch direction, you can, um, you can pretty well count on having a net help and a net negative of current being close to zero. Every day you're gonna pass a few hours with it with you and a few, a few hours when it's against you. So you don't, you can't win the current battle in the ICW by trying to time it so you always have the current behind you. But as with Pablo, Pablo Creek, there's a couple of places where knowing what the current's doing could, should affect your decision as to when to enter that, that um, estuary. Uh, just past uh, Georgetown, South Carolina, which is a great stop, is the Waccamaw River. <clears throat> And because the Waccamaw River is draining a very large river basin, it has a natural ebb current. And the current there ebbs for eight hours and only floods for four hours. So when you're going northbound in the spring, if you're a seven-knot boat, you really want to think about when you want to approach the uh, Waccamaw River because when you run with a current against you for of an average of one knot for eight hours, you just added another whole hour to your day. So the Waccamaw River, you should look at and and uh, look at the current tables to try and get the current to your advantage, or at least make sure you're not going uh, up the Waccamaw River against an ebbing current for eight hours. 
And that can be helpful for both uh, Tom from a a planning and a a time perspective, even though most bloopers are not in a rush. you still can save a little bit of time and get to the next port and explore some. Um, but also there's, there's some fuel savings to be had, of course, if you're taking advantage of those currents. That there are fuel savings. And speaking of fuel at the head of the Waccamaw river is Osprey Marina. I don't know if they're a supporter of AGLCA, but they generally have very good fuel prices, but their fuel dock closes at a certain time, like any other business. So if you fight the current all day, getting up there, you may arrive after the fuel dock is closed. So, um, you need to, you need to, you should be planning, uh, using the current tables to plan that particular stretch. Now, the Cape Fear River just past Southport, which is another wonderful stop, you're only in the Cape Fear River about seven miles. But that river has a terrific reputation for being a snotty place when the wind <laughs> and current are opposed. Mm-hmm. Okay? And um, the, uh, the timing of the current changes, where in the Chesapeake, the current and tide are offset by three hours. In the Cape Fear River, they're only offset by one and a half hours. <clears throat> but during that middle two hours of the current cycle, when it's running its hardest, you really want to be careful. The Cape Fear River, if it is ebbing, it ebbs to the southeast, and the prevailing wind is from the southeast. And if you have a strong southeast wind hitting that middle two hours of the ebbing current when it is at its peak, you're going to have a rough day. You're going to have a very rough day. So Cape Fear River is another place you should look at what the currents are doing and the wind. Uh, It's only seven miles, but boy, it can be a nasty seven miles when the wind and current are are fighting each other. Um, Now, once you get past uh, Southport, you're again in in a stretch of the coast where there are many inlets and therefore the, the tide the tide, as it rises, for 100 miles there, high tide is going to be at the same time everywhere along that coast. But every time you cross an inlet, it's going to be, as you approach an inlet, the, the rising tide is on your nose. But once you get past the inlet, the rising tide is on your stern. So just as we said back in the Carolinas, in this stretch of the ICW, you're not going to win the title game, the current game. Don't try and plan to have current with you, you just have to understand that at the end of the day, it's gonna all work out as an average. And those are really the, the only most, the only really tough current places on the ICW. However, loopers, loopers are going beyond the ICW and the issue of tides and currents will affect them all the way up the uh, Hudson River. So the next place we've talked about how the Chesapeake Bay current can be uh, helpful or harmful with its um, with its currents, but Delaware Bay is the next place you're gonna have to manage. Uh, There, the offset between the time of high tide and maximum current varies at different parts of the, uh, at different parts of the Delaware Bay. At the mouth of the bay, the offset's only half an hour, but up near where the Chesapeake and Delaware Canal enters Delaware Bay, the offset is four hours. So it gets quite complicated to figure out what's the best time to to come into the top of Delaware Bay and ride it down to Cape May. The sort of rule of thumb, and you'll find this in Waterway Guide, is you 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 come out of the Delaware Chesapeake and Delaware CND Chesapeake and Delaware Canal about two hours before the change of current. 
And the reason for that is, as we discussed, the current will be slack in the middle two hours of its cycle. So you come out when it's, when it's getting close to slack and you want to catch the beginning of the ebb. So you'll have a little bit of flood current against you for the first couple hours, but it's, it's moving towards slack. And then you're down the, uh, the Delaware Bay, uh, six or eight miles when you begin to pick up the ebb current. And you can usually carry that all the way down to the Cape May Canal. So general sort of guideline for this, for the Delaware Bay is enter the bay two hours before the uh, ebb current starts at the eastern end of the canal. That's great information, Tom. We are actually just about out of time, and I do want to take a quick moment um, for those whose interest has been piqued. Um, you know, maybe if you're not cruising just yet and you want to learn more about this concept, what are some good resources, Tom, that you can point people to? Well, that's, that's great. There that, 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 that really is only one that you really need. I mean, besides, as I discussed, you'll find a lot of this information in your navigation apps. NOAA has a website called ODIN, the, the Norse god of the oceans. NOAA ODIN has tides and currents for the entire um, East Coast, uh, all the United States and Guam and and and. But more than that, they also have many tide stations that are reporting the real-time actual tide level, which can be very handy, too, because some of these places are kind of skinny. And it's nice to know that today, because of whatever prevailing conditions, the tide is running a few inches higher than normal or lower than normal. That's important information. So NOAA ODIN has a lot of information on the, on the time of the tide changes, the time of the current changes and in many cases, real-time reporting of what the actual tide is doing compared to what is predicted. Excellent. And I want to just mention again that uh, for a, another description that Tom has written about this, an article in Chesapeake Bay Magazine, complete with some of the graphics and, and images of the tide charts and current charts that you would use for this, or tide tables and current tables, um, we will post that in our discussion forum, as well as in the kind of uh, news and announcements area on our homepage at the bottom right, so that anyone who's listening to this should be able to access that and take a look at that for additional details. Tom Hill, thank you for joining us on Great Loop Radio. We really appreciate your time. Kim, no problem. May I just say one more thing? I'm perfectly yeah. willing and frequently do exchange emails and phone calls with loopers who are getting used to dealing with tides and currents. And I've been known to help loopers many years, all the way from Florida up to about somewhere in uh, North Carolina when it all starts to come together. So don't hesitate <laughs> to contact me through the listserv if you have specific questions. Yeah, and that's a very generous offer, and, and I can vouch for the fact that Tom does monitor what's going on on the discussion forum, so you can post questions for him there, which is probably a great way to go about it, because then others can also learn from your questions and Tom's answers, um, but he's of course, also is in the member directory. So, Tom Hale, thanks for joining us. For our listeners, thank you for listening once again. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. Uh -huh.